A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast featuring conversations with ordinary people living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin Garcia, and welcome to episode 42. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas times, happy holidays, joyous Kwanzaa, and all the other dope holidays that you might be celebrating today. I hope you're doing good, and I'm glad you are here. I am obviously a little bit behind because I missed this past week because of my craziness in my personal life. So thanks for your patience. It's, you know, getting ready for the holiday. I'm headed to L.A. um, to spend it with my brother and his wife. The boyfriend is coming along. The mother's going to be there. It's about to be a dope and warm Christmas time. So I'm feeling like, uh, you know, that song from Ariana Grande, Winter Things. That's what I'm about to do. I'm about to go to the beach. I'm about to watch the sunset on Laguna Beach. I'm about to um, hang out with all of my L.A. queers. So if any of my L.A. friends are listening to this, by the way, I want to hang out with you. So text me. And so we can make that happen. Anyways, um, before we jump into the conversation this week, just a reminder to you, I'm going to be speaking at GCN at the end of January. Uh, in Denver, Colorado. I'm really excited to be leading this workshop. It's called Bridges Over Battle Lines. And I'll also be leading worship alongside some of my favorite humans. So be sure to get registered ASAP. And if you want to stay at the conference hotel, December 19th is the last day to get the discount. So if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, uh, it's tomorrow. The deadline to call them and or go online and get the discounted deal. Go ahead and take care of that. Again, that's tomorrow, so don't forget about registering and getting your flight squared away, blah, blah, blah. All the info can be found at GCNConf.com. That's G-C-N-C-O-N-F.com. This week on the podcast, my friend Michael Vasquez and I are talking about literally everything. Um, we both come from conservative Christian backgrounds. Um, we've, we've now found ourselves in kind of a wilderness of sorts where we're trying to navigate what it is to be in the tension of righteous anger and perfect love. A little bit about Michael. He is a writer, a public theologian, a pastor, and he's currently working on his MDiv at Western Theological Seminary. We met a few years ago at the Reformation Project LA, and since then we've kind of just grown in friendship. He's a fellow Enneagram 8, and to be honest, I feel like he's one of like the very few people, like when I talk about stuff, like I know that he 100% gets it. So it's it's pretty cool to know somebody who's like loves liturgy and at the same time is kind of a charismatic and also like loves Catholicism. It's like he's like he's like me. He's a smorgasbord of, you know, queer Jesus-y goodness, and so. I'm probably going to regret calling him a smorgasbord of queer Jesus-y goodness, but you know what? Um, that's how I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stop talking now. Um, anyways, it's a dope conversation, and we go a few different places in it, so strap yourself in, grab yourself a glass of whatever you were drinking, and honestly, grab your hanky, because there's some places in this podcast where you are going to want to shout. Anyways, let's go ahead and jump in. This is my conversation with my friend, Michael Vasquez. I currently live in uh, West Michigan, um, having a great, great old time uh, navigating uh, West Michigan culture as a student in seminary. This is my second year in seminary. I'm getting my master's in divinity. Uh, note to everyone listening, one does not simply master the divine. Mm. Uh, 
particularly <laughs> with a white epistemological structure that just won't that really definitely won't do it. Um, I've only been in West Michigan for oh lord uh, eight months something like eight or nine months mm -hmm. something to that effect uh moved here from salt lake city i used to work uh for a large evangelical canvas ministry mm -hmm. that. check out the social media for more details i guess um yeah. or it'll probably just come up in a moment yeah uh, none <laughs> of us have ever had that experience before so crazy no not at all and so i yeah i used to work for uh, an evangelical um, campus ministry called InterVarsity. There it is. Um, while I was in Salt Lake City, um, and then I went on to work uh, for Incarnation Ministries, which was another interesting experience. Um, and that really was what drove me to come to West Michigan in a lot of part, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think like an undergirding thing, because often people ask me like, OK, sure, we have a picture in our head of what Utah is and what Salt Lake City is. Uh, but what would take you to West Michigan? Because I moved yeah. first in Rapids and now I live in Holland, Michigan, which I just it that's an experience. And so, yeah, often people have asked that question. And what was interesting um really one of the most significant driving forces besides uh, working with incarnation was uh, a search for healthy, authentic Christian community that was inclusive. Mm. Uh, that, and, and by that, I mean like something, a space where I could, I didn't have to create excuses um, or justifications for my existence in any particular space yeah. uh, where I could negotiate, uh, the least amount of myself in a space. Yeah. And honestly, the, the truth is, um, here's, here's the truth. It's going on the pod. Um, the truth is I got here and discovered that this didn't have what I was looking for. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, um, because the particular people that I thought that kind of community was going to develop out of did not, um, it didn't just, that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, but was, what was fascinating was that I found in the most unlikely places uh, people who stood in the gap mm -hmm. for me. Um, some people I lived with a short amount of time when I first moved here who were uh, absolute gems. Mm -hmm. Good, like I've rarely met um, two people who have committed their, their lives to such a simple but robust uh, giving of self. Uh, reflective of Jesus. I was fascinated. I was like, what is happening? And we lived in such a beautiful uh, community together. Uh, I, it really just, I'm like, wow, that was so great. Um, it really was like a magical experience with them. And, and since moving to Holland from Grand Rapids in August, uh, I have found a few people who really have, have been able to stand in the gap and just kind of offer some semblance of community. But the, but the, there's an undergirding narrative of we we are all searching for this authentic community in this in this place that is West Michigan and we're not finding it. Um, and so these things I'm experiencing, these relationships, um, all operate in like silos. It mm -hmm. feels, but a robust Christian community um, just seems like it just seems so hard to come by yeah. um, in a place that is so Christian. So. Isn't that interesting where like I find it always like the most interesting experience to 
you know, the one place you should be able to go to be your sanctuary, the church, is mm. often the place where we find that uh, we have to defend ourselves, we have to negotiate part of ourselves, as you put it. Um, we have to figure out, okay, what am I, like, in order to belong to this group of people, um, what parts of me are actually welcome and what parts of me are going to be just tolerated? Um, whether yeah. that is, like, queer identity or racial identity or uh, political ideology, what have you. Yeah, I... Oof. I'm I'm old school. I'm old school. I'm not I thought you were gonna say you're old. I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm I'm not old. I'm not old. Uh, but I am. I do feel I'm pretty old school. Um, when it comes to, well, I think my value system or the value system that I most value. I think that might be mm, okay. <laughs> the best way to put this. Um, is old school. Um. My approach to discipleship uh, or my desired approach to discipleship, and I, I, I'm qualifying these things because I don't think I live in a way that necessarily reflects these value systems any longer. Um, although I would say and, and I'll, I'll unpack that, but uh, I still hold these to be significant value systems. But I don't know what to do with them in a world that is so ugly and complicated um yeah. and yet so beautiful and divine right like yeah um and so two two things i think first off of community i think uh i i find it critical that we be members of the local church and participants mm-hmm. of the local church i'm like and and historically i have uh I've attended churches where like even theologically like this is you know you do not welcome me particularly because of uh, of being gay, but also I mean, we could really if we dig deeper, the ethnic and racial tension that exists in this space is mm-hmm. so, so real. Uh, but I, I have found myself like, well, I, I need to have a commitment to the local church. I need to be present in the local church. I need to be a part of a witnessing community. I still believe those things, but I don't I don't find myself living out my life in that way because I'm I'm suspicious, I'm I'm vigilant, um, and I'm also uh tired. Yes, and I, God. Uh and tired well we could just talk about tiredness for exhaustion for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um because yeah, that's that's just a thing. Um but I just, I mean, I visited churches and I'm like, I'm just really tired of the same experience. And I don't know what shifted. Um, but I'll visit the more like evangelical hipster mm-hmm. mega church and be like, oh, there are elements of this that I still find beautiful and endearing. But I'm also just really tired to be here because it feels like a show. But then I'll go to a like, more reformed, more heavily liturgical um, space and be like, y'all are performing just as much hmm. as the hipster church on the street that you abhor and criticize. And I'm kind of tired of this also. And hmm. so I'm like, what do I, what do I do? Right. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that, I think there's the tension of like, I'm bringing a lot of who I am into a space and I need to I need to deal with and I need to face the, the reality of what that means, because knowing the fact that most of these spaces don't welcome me. Um, 
even though they might be really nice and really mm-hmm. kind, they might not actually um, have capacity to hold me mm-hmm. um, in the way that the community ought to be able to. Um, but then there's the other hand, like I, I need to be able to commit to being part of the public witness and the uh, worshiping life, public worshiping life of the church. How? How? I don't know. You gonna you got answers for me, Boo? You got some answers for me? Oh, I've got I've just got feelings because those are the exact same questions I'm asking right now of mm-hmm. my own situation. Of I'm I also kind of find myself uh, old school in the same way that you're old school, like feeling this pull and this desire to be a part of a local congregation because I believe it's important to. You know, it's it's not just important for um, the individual to be be a part of a community because I think um, spirituality can be done on its own. Yes, we can learn who we are, um, and there's a lot of developmental things that possibly need to happen on one's own. But I mm-hmm. think that for someone to be able to faithfully engage with um, the things that we don't want to look at. Um, you know, you use the word discipleship, which I'm a huge fan of, like, because like I grew up in a culture where discipleship was prized, where like, you know, we taught people, you know, how, like, you know, this is like, this is what we believe it means to follow Jesus. Um, now granted it was in a very, you know, white, hetero, uh, blah, 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 blah kind of way. Um, but it was still like, there was like, there's an element of accountability that I miss in so many ways because it's like there, I have this person in my life who is check, who is asking me tough questions about my spiritual practices, asking me uh, tough questions about my, uh, you know, my relational life with both people romantically and otherwise. And granted, mm-hmm. like, you know, like that, that could be seen as a form of control in some ways, but I think in honest Christian community, when we're, um, when we, when it's done well, or if it could be done well, um, we can still ask questions of each other without belittling people's experiences. Right. Oh, absolutely. Oh, good God. I think you, ju- you just, you just open something. <laughs> like, hmm. Don't know if you want to open it. We are so adverse. We've become so adverse um, in a reactionary way to anyone calling us out on sin. Mm. My liberation Right. As a as a queer, Latinx, second generation immigrant, all of those I could go on. I could I could that list yeah. go on. Uh my liberation includes my liberation from sin. Yeah. My own sin, right? Um I don't I think we we become for those of us who find ourselves in more progressive or in progressive spaces, we love, we do love, and rightly so, to talk about our liberation in context of who we are being liberated from in a physical way, mm-hmm. right? So we can talk about, I'm being liberated from white supremacy. Come on now, Jesus. Amen. Yes, like, come yeah. through, brown Jesus. I'm being liberated from patriarchy. I'm being liberated from all from, from homophobia. All of these things that are, like, external mm-hmm. that are affecting me because I'm a marginal individual in some capacities, right? I'm still... Formally educated and upperly mobile. Uh, I, I'm in the 1% of the world because I have a college degree and I'm working on a master's degree. Like I, yeah. I have to own privilege um, in the ways it manifests itself in, others, in, in other ways um, as I am socially located. 
but I also am a sinful person. I'm also a depraved person. The way that I was created, like Genesis 1 and 2, I was created inherently good. We were all created inherently good. Mm-hmm. There was – there still is a Genesis 3 though. Like there's still a Genesis 3 in which we see there is a corruption of the beauty of the, the original creation. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beautiful thing is that there's a, gen- there's a revelation, uh, 21 and 22, where all things are made new. Right? There is – the gospel that promises a liberation from sin and death. Um, but discipleship um, does not, we don't get to, excuse me, we don't get to throw out discipleship as a part of our liberation. We get to lean further into it mm-hmm. because if I'm about my freedom, mm-hmm. if I'm about my liberation, it has to be about the entire thing, right? So I like, I have been in several conversations in different spaces. Um, I've tried to bring this up with different groups of people uh, where, and kind of search for accountability, like you mentioned, where I'm like, you know, if I really think about it, all the thirst traps I'd be following on Instagram are That's not real. Good. It's real. It's I was, not, you know, come on now, come on. Yeah, it's like that. Like that alone. Like I think about that as far as like, uh, you know, now especially for queer individuals, like we we spent so like and like it makes sense, like because for so long we abhorred this part of ourselves, and now we're in a space where we finally feel okay about uh being attracted to who we're attracted to um but then the question that i always have in my mind is like and i don't think like this is like there's like a universal answer for this but my my question to Mm -hmm. myself is like when am i crossing a line here between uh appreciating someone's physical form and moving into lust you know and like, and, and how does a text that is bound up by, a, you know, a patriarchal world, worldview, when I think about specifically, and I, I use this as an excuse for a while, where Jesus looked at them and said, I tell you the truth, when you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and I, I know that Jesus was speaking at a particular time, so he couldn't speak specifically to my, um, my uh, actions or like how, who I'm attracted to. But if I'm going to read this with kind of like a prophetic view, it's just like, Kevin, when you even look at a man lustfully, like you committed adultery in your heart, like is, is, what does that mean for me? How am I viewing people? And that's just like one example of it. You know, I think that you could also say the same thing about um, anger for a lot of us who are working towards, you know, liberation and like, how do we uh, allow for there to be space for anger and at the same time, we have a call to forgive and we have a call to love our enemies. It is tricky to say the least. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at that Matthew five uh, section that you mentioned about, about lust, yeah, we can say in a lot of, we could argue that the primary locus of this is Jesus uh, destabilizing patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Right. So much of what we see, so much of Matthew as a, as a, as a whole text is uh, Matthew is trying to communicate uh, that the, the one essential piece of discipleship, a central part of following Jesus uh, is giving a power status, privilege and wealth hmm. significant to is an overarching theme throughout Matthew's gospel. And so when you get to the sermon on the Mount, you get to Matthew five, right? He is destabilizing. He's attempting to destabilize all of these uh, sources of power, uh, whether it's individual power dynamics. You can look at that like uh, I have a grudge against my brother. And mm-hmm. so like what, what 
what power does it allow me uh, to have over my brother, etc.? The lust passages, the divorce passages are primarily, uh, first and foremost, I would argue, about power, right? Like mm-hmm. men in a male-dominant, patriarchal, misogynist society, men have power. How do we remove power from men? Great, cool. Establish that. Critical deliberation. Also critical liberation is like women also must not lust after men, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, that is still a real thing. I, as a gay man, should not be lusting after other gay men and then say, oh, well, you know, I'm just appreciating some other bodies. Like, men are beautiful. Yeah, amen. men are beautiful. Mm-hmm. They are. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they are beautiful does not give me permission to objectify and dehumanize them into something I get to turn into my own little play toy in my head, get mm-hmm. all excited about, scroll by, scroll by on Instagram, mm-hmm. double tap that mess and be like, woohoo! getting all sorts of excited and then say oh but it's for my liberation uh, because in who who you mentioned like that fine line who is checking you on that fine line mm-hmm. if it's mm-hmm. only you if it's only you and your discipleship is simply based on your own your own uh, subjective truth and subjective view of the world what you really have subjected yourself to is white supremacy an individualized discipleship is a white supremacist discipleship. Ooh. Ooh. Tweet it. Do what you want with it. I don't know. It's good. Maybe it's not. Um, not to say that there wasn't like lone wolf discipleship pre-whiteness um, 500, 600 years ago. Um, no, but that's real talk though. But yes. Because yes. Um, if we think about – now I'm going back to Sue Ann's uh, workshop she did at TRP, um, where specifically she talked about um, the idea of interdependence versus independence, like where mm-hmm. in Western culture um, we would often like people often will say like you know it's about you, your feelings, your journey, and uh, versus an Eastern cultures um, and uh, the global South a lot of it has to do with uh, the interdependence. So it's like, it's not so much that I know who I am when I'm alone, but it's, I know who I am when I'm a part of my group, my people. Yes. Yes. Our bondedness to other people is what allows us to become ourselves fully and to, to know ourselves fully. Right. And I think, um, most many, many of the mystics that we, we love the contemplatives that we love, uh, have their deep mystic and contemplative experiences of the divine right. in the context of a, of a committed community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Teresa Avila, um, Teresa, like she is in a, she is in a community, right? She's not, um, she's bucking the system. She, she's doing all of these things, uh, to tear down patriarchy. She's doing all these things to tear down, uh, the structures that limit the, the full expression of uh, the divine in one's being in, in the worshiping life of the church. But she does it in the context of a community. Um, and or I think of more recent day, right? Another Teresa, Mother Teresa uh, still committed herself to the to obedience of those in her community, um, even when she disagreed with them, even when she felt like, OK, you're not really believing entirely that this calling is from God. Um for this moment in this time, uh, for this work that I've been called to, she wrestled with that because she was thinking like the word that I'm receiving from God, um, 
needs to be tested by this community. My discipleship needs to be held and tested by this community because I have some sinful motivations for the way I do things. I have some underlying just kind of corrupt things, whether it's based out of of a toxic family system, whether it's just based on traumatic experiences that have changed the way that I just view the world. Like I need those things to be checked uh, by those that I'm in in kinship bond with, those I'm in relationship with, so that I'm approaching the world in a way that's healthy and good Mm -hmm. for myself, for the immediate community, and for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So when we construct discipleship, uh, like discipleship practices or sexual ethics uh, from an individual mindset, we do more damage or we perpetuate damage. Um, mm-hmm. It might not be, it might be hard to argue that it's the same kind of damage that we've experienced up until this point, um, but we still we do still do damage, um, and and we move away from the we we move away from. The, the picture, um, the hope uh, that scripture gives us for what the community of God ought to look like. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, those, those are thoughts. We'll be right back with this conversation after a quick break. I, I wanted to read you guys an email from uh, somebody who reached out to me recently, and I, it kind of touched me, and I just... I thought I would share it with you. So here goes. Um, Dear Kevin, you don't know me, but I recently came across your Twitter and I've been following your blog posts ever since. I'm an Ethiopian gay Christian woman, closeted still, who's been tremendously encouraged by your work. My girlfriend and I have been so encouraged by reading your posts. Your sphere of influence has reached across oceans and you have been lifting the spirits of people like us who are citizens of a country that criminalizes and dehumanizes gay people. In the midst of so much uncertainty and fear, your work has been a great resource for us, as I'm sure for others too. So please know that someone somewhere does care about your work and what you're doing is changing lives. You are wonderful and thanks for all you do. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading, to be honest, and it's beautiful and uplifting and, and that's why I do what I do. That's why I started this podcast. That's why I started blogging. That's why I make videos that talk about the queer Christian experience. Um, I wanted to start talking about the hope that God has given me. And honestly, none of these things would be possible. This influence that we're like, you know, showing off overseas, none of this would be possible without support from people like you. Um, I've said it a few times, but I'm an independent creative. And that means I don't have sponsorships from things like Blue Apron or Audible or other popular podcasts. You know, I'm, I'm supported by people like you, people who look at this work and say, this is important and it means something to me. And so I'm going to help fund the work by giving just a couple bucks a month. And that's honestly like the majority of people are giving like three, four, five bucks a month to help this work continue forward. Because I believe it's important. If I didn't find uh, a few blogs a few years ago that allowed me to have the language to talk about my own experiences, I probably would still be in the closet. But thankfully, because of independent creatives, I was able to come out, I was able to find my voice, and I was able to start giving back to the community that has given me so much. And I want to do more. I want to create more resources, more blogs, more videos. But I am someone who lives in the real world and I still got to pay the bills. I'd love for you to become a sustaining partner. I'd love for you to give just three, four, five bucks a month, seven bucks a month, ten bucks a month. So that 
you know, we can do more things. It means I don't have to work as much in the restaurant to pay my bills. It means that I can pour more into this work. And the more support we have, the more things we can do together. So if you want more moments like these, more amazing emails coming in, I would love for you to become a sustaining partner with me through Patreon. Not to mention, there are perks like t-shirts, phone calls, daily devotionals, and a whole lot more. So head over to patreon.com slash thekevingarcia and become a sustaining partner today. And thanks. Now, let's get back to the conversation. I think particularly when it comes down to um, things like shaping, like like you said, like shaping a sexual ethic, I think being able to bounce ideas off of people and um, even when you have ideas and like when you are working through, um, when you're working through all of your questions, being able to have someone push back on something. That's why I think like having a... Uh, an intense, an intentionally diverse community of people is so important um, because there are blind spots that we experience, and if we, and that's like the like the whole point of community. Um, like, granted, like I definitely understand people who can't be in like a church community for one reason or another because of uh, the damage that is caused. Um, but I still think, in some regard, like it's it's important to find some form of community that allows for um, the people who can see your shit and still yeah. love you all the same. And okay. so, and, and, and maybe in some ways all the more because they have space to hold all of your brokenness, all of your crap and can shine a light in your darkness in the places that you don't want to pay attention to or couldn't pay attention to because you didn't even know they were there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's there some people that I'm in a relationship here in Holland where I have I've shared some pretty, like, it's some like very personal things that have happened, um, and I mean they're both straight white folk, mm-hmm. um, and yet the way that they were able to hold the story uh, that I shared with them, the uh, the way they were able to to hold the the pain uh, and my sinfulness, mm-hmm. like the what I shared with them, which it was pure, pure sinfulness. Uh, I had, I was, I was in a, like a rough spot and I, I, I needed there, like there was no way knowing that I had done X thing, um, out of a sinful place and a place of just unhealth and just like, I'm feeling a lot of emotions <laughs> that are unprocessed and all of those things. There's no way that I had the capacity on my own to then process an appropriate response to what had happened uh, without someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's the danger is that we, we believe um, <laughs> may, maybe it's this. We believe – we've come to believe so greatly that we are creating the image of God and that we embody and we, we embody the divine and we are midwives for the divine in, in the mm. world. Uh, that we forget that we're also human. We are not fully divine. We, mm, yes. And so I, in and of myself, do not get to make conclusions about what is right and just and good and moral and ethical. And we can we could decolonize and deconstruct all of those things. The problem is, is that 
in my opinion. The problem is that we tend to deconstruct all of those things and never reconstruct anything out of it. Yeah. Yes. That right there. Um, I, in a way, have come to like be really annoyed at the word deconstruction in so many ways, like because it's become such a buzzword. And for the very reason that uh, among uh, millennial uh, spiritual people is that we deconstruct, we deconstruct, we deconstruct, and then we come to the end of it and there's nothing left. And it's like, okay, now what? You know, it's like, and I think a lot of times that people want to ask, why, 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 why did these things happen? Why did I, like, why did I believe the way that I did? Um, And then we'll just stick around and we'll start picking around and figuring out all the whys. And yes, why is important. Why helps us move, um, move the dial forward in some ways. But if like, once you get to the end of why, why doesn't change the fact that X happened, whatever it was. Um, And the better question um, to me is what now? What now? Like given what has happened to me. And I think that's also like very like ecclesiastical too. Like from like, you know, I said like, you know, everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Um, And then once it gets to the end of it, he says for everything, there's a time and a season. And so I think there's like, given what we know, like given that we understand what happened, like, like, what are you going to do with that? What kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to, do you want to be a person who, lives into the fullness of who you could possibly be um, or dot, dot, dot. Right. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I, I want to know, I want that we, that we are not just saying, okay, we, we're removing these problematic systems. We're, we're, we're tearing apart these problematic structures and we are now creating something new and right and good because we're not contributing anything good that I'm sorry. Like you're, you're doing, you're not doing any justice by burning (laughs) the analogy as an Enneagram, like just burning down the plantation. Now what? Mm -hmm. Now what? Cause as an Enneagram, like, yes, I'm with you. Let's tear it down, tear down the idols. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we see in the old Testament, you know, old Testament on this, we see, King Josiah, he goes in and he finds the scrolls of the Torah. He's like, dear God, what have we been doing? Right? Like this is like mm-hmm. the, the, the temple is filled with uh, what most translators will say are temple prostitutes. I would like to argue are most likely sex slaves. Neither here nor there. That's a different podcast. Um, but you have right, you have these false priests. You have uh, these – temple prostitutes or sex slaves um, that are desecrated. There's a desecration of the temple that's happening. You have the Asherah poles inside the temple. And this has just become like they've integrated. This is syncretism that's like gone bad. Like mm-hmm. they've integrated some of the local worship practices of uh, the area um, that are toxic, that are destructive, um, that are abusive and exploitative. Uh, and, and it's bled into the sociopolitical behavior of of the Israeli community, uh, the oppression of the foreigner and the poor, like they just ain't doing anything right. They just, mm-hmm. they're just, right. It is, uh, from, from the day that, that Saul was anointed King of Israel, everything just went, I mean, things were just going haywire in a new way, just mm-hmm. in a new, way. um, Josiah finds the, uh, the scrolls, mm-hmm. uh, from the Torah. And he's like, Oh my goodness. And there's just a cry of repentance. There's, there's this, 
God, we have strayed so far from the good things that you that you instructed us towards, uh, the, the beauty that you instructed us towards. So he tears down the Asherah poles. He expels the priests, um, the false priests, gets rid of all of the nonsense, all of the evil. Mm-hmm. And then what? Then there is a public gathering of all the people and a reading of the Torah, uh, a reading of the promises. Uh, I think some scholars argue it's most likely Deuteronomy is what he finds. Um, and so he, there's a reading of this. And Deuteronomy is so much about like the blessing and the curse and what will you choose? Mm-hmm. And, and there's an exhortation to repentance and, and a recovery and a rebuilding. There's mm-hmm. a rebuild. Now that we've torn down that which was evil, let us rebuild that which is good. Mm-hmm. But I believe that, again, our discipleship practice, we just want to tear down the Asherah poles. We want to get rid of white supremacy. Amen. Let's, and then and then what? Like you don't offer – like are we offering anything in replacement? Mm-hmm. Because that what we create um, is a homeless – we perpetuate a, a homeless spirituality um, and a generation of, of spiritual homelessness where people are just wandering, looking for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can't find it because not only did we say that what is is bad – um, we've torn it down so it doesn't exist in theory, but we gave them no home to move into. And and the real desire of our one of the deepest desires of our soul is that we would be in kinship, community, and bonded mm-hmm. with one another um, in the worshiping life of of the church of God's people. And there's clearly a lot of feelings mm-hmm. about this and a lot of thoughts. No, but like. That's one thing I really enjoy about you, my dear friend, Michael Vasquez, is that I have written all of these words in my journal before, and <laughs> it's like, I'm like, and it's, uh, it's a, it's weird because like, cause even posing that question, like, what are we bringing to the table? You know, we don't even really have a good answer for that yet in some right. ways. It's like. It's like we're we're at a point in our history, or like where we are witnessing something that has never been done before, you know, and it's um, yeah. and we're we're gonna we're gonna mess up, and we're gonna do the wrong thing sometimes, and we're gonna burn bridges that we probably ought not to, and we're gonna um, uh, say the wrong things, and have to uh, apologize at certain points, and um, and. I'm hoping that when we look back on our own, like this period in history, that it's, um, that God isn't going to look at us with, you know, you know, the Amos, uh, Amos chapter five, which is like, you know, don't play your festivals and music for me. Like, I don't want that, you know, ego worship. I think that's what it says in the message. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want that to be. I don't want that to be the story. Like I, like I want to. I want us to be a people that is able to bring, bring about something new, and and maybe even in that, like we can figure out how to do, discipleship better, um, and we can figure out how to, um, do community in a way that is, um, not exclusive and 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 uh, understanding and is open to critique. And maybe, yeah. and and then at the end, what's so interesting is like, I am, I will say I am also pretty old school in the way that like, um, 
I just really love Jesus a lot. And Come I on, guess, Boo. And Come that's on, like Boo. where, like, I guess, like, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'll ever be able to, like, shake my, like, my evangelical roots because of this. Is because just I, how I believe is even on the days when, like, I am so unsure about things like a literal seven-day creation or a literal, like, second coming. And when I'm, on the days when I'm unsure about, like, a literal virgin birth, a literal death and resurrection, you know, like, I have these questions floating around in my brain, and yet at the same time, I've had, like, these crazy, miraculous experiences that I can't explain. Amen. Amen. And I've had these moments in community with people that really did love me imperfectly as it was it still pushed me closer to to jesus closer to who i was created to be there's all these different things that like and for some reason like i'm still here and i like there are days when i i wish i could explain but i cannot because it just is what it is like god has been god has put something in me and that could be uh kind of like like everything you said is like you know like I don't know what to do with it but I know the one thing I have to keep doing is continuing to show up and yes come on testify because it's it's hard and people are mean and churches suck sometimes (laughs) a lot of the time but um you know I have uh I kind of have planted myself like with uh what is it Psalms twenty seven thirteen. Yea, I would have lost heart had I not known I would see the glory of God in the land of the living. Mm, come on, come on, testify with the word. And it's, uh, and I and like I I I remember like the first church I ever like really found my faith in, like really found my faith. Like um, mm. said was like we believe uh, a few things. We believe in uh, uh, the goodness of God, the potential of people, the centrality of the church, and the efficacy of the cross. Um, and it was like these four things that really like, kind of like set a foundation for me. And I still believe those things. It's like, I still believe that people are inherently good and people do have potential despite like them being horrible all the time. I still believe that like community is important because it shows, it holds up a mirror to ourselves so that we can, um, you know, uh, you know, strive after the Matthew five forty eight of be perfect. Therefore, as your father in heaven is perfect. Yes. Um, I still believe, um, uh, what is it? What did I just say? The centrality of the church, the, the, the efficacy of the cross, the goodness of God. Like, I still believe that like, despite all the things in the world that God is good and that the efficacy of the cross tells me that God is reaching back towards me. Yes. Huh. Come on now. You better preach that gospel. I feel you. But I, I would I would say this. I would say this. We have attached uh, some of the most central tenets of the gospel to evangelicalism. Now, mm, yeah. I still – I put this on the Twitter the other day and most people just, you know, just didn't engage and it's fine. Um, <laughs> I pose some scandalous things sometimes and I just think – my assumption, my meta perception is that people read and they're like, I don't want to engage with this with Michael. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Really, the truth is no one's thinking anything at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but those are my thoughts. Um, 
But I posted about like I am still – I still identify as Roman Catholic. I still identify as the Baptocostal from the Caribbean. I still identify as a third-way charismatic. I still – come on. But I still listen to my Hillsong. Right? Like yeah. as much as I might say and as much as it's true that Hillsong embodies white supremacy in the most hipster way possible, like I still listen to their worship song because I believe – I do believe – that even in their sinfulness, in in their attachment to white supremacy, they have brought a gift to the Lord in the best way they know possible. Hmm. They did Ooh. they did what they could, what they what they knew, right? Uh, and I still identify as an evangelical. I still, because we can, I mean, we could separate. We can say evangelical as a political movement, yes, um, but with the historic evangelicalism, mm-hmm. I'm a part of that story, and having participated in it. And been abused by it, right? I am a part of that story. I don't get to write that off. I don't get to write it off and say this isn't me any longer. And if that is what some people need to do in order to get healthy and and redeemed, amen, do it. But for me and my process, uh, Mm -hmm. movement towards health, has been a reclamation of the titles. Mm -hmm. This is what I've needed to do. Uh, And and I think these tenets of the gospel you're mentioning, yes, we've identified them so closely with evangelicalism because I think evangelicalism has been – of all denominations, of all worshiping communities within the Christian church, they have communicated those tenets most articulately, um, most deeply, most profoundly, and most uh, most authentically, uh, and most faithfully. Hmm. Uh, and faithfulness, you know, speaking of being like faithfulness, is still still something that is central to our discipleship, central. Uh, to our humanity that I think we lose sight of. And and I believe that evangelicalism, with all of its inherent depravity and its deep goodness, mm-hmm. brought us a gift that spoke of faithfulness, that spoke of, the, yes, we should testify of the name of Jesus to the end of the earth. We don't get to get rid of Matthew 28 because we got our liberation. We get to reinterpret and reinterstand what does it mean to witness Jesus, to be witnesses of Jesus, in Jerusalem and in Samaria uh, and to the end, and all of Judea and to the ends of the earth. Like, what does it really mean to do that well in a way that's not non-colonial, mm-hmm. not paternalistically, but still do right? We don't just get to throw the Bible out because we're tired of it. We get to re-engage with the Word of God and say, Lord Jesus, what are you still doing today amongst your people? I I had a moment, if I might, yet even more Old Testament. I'm ready. I'm always here for it. I'm ready. I think I think I'm ready for this. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I got some words for you. Uh, had a moment with um, uh, a brother named Jonah. Brother named Jonah. Hmm. And we're sitting. I'm sitting in a in a class, right? Like during an intensive. I'm, I'm part of a distance learning program, so we're all people that are like have been and continue to be actively doing ministry. Uh, for some time now, um, the in-residence students tend to be like they went straight from undergrad to seminary. But this is a, this is a unique group of students, uh, the distance learning students, who tend to be uh, yeah, divi- a, a more diverse group of students that are actively engaged in, in ministry in their context. Mm-hmm. And, and so the perspectives are really fascinating. So we get together a few times a year for intensives. Uh, and this is back in October uh, – we're at our Hebrew intensive and we're, we're, we're studying Jonah. And I just have this like this moment, 
are just fascinated by all this. And I realize I am Jonah. I'm Jonah. What do I do? What do I do with this? Let me unpack that a little bit. Jonah is this Jewish dude that's been called by God as a prophet to go to one of the most treacherous places in the world, to the city of Nineveh, to preach a word of repentance because otherwise God's going to destroy them. Now, for context, like Nineveh, right, like that is that is Nazi Germany. That is, uh, I mean, that is St. Louis today, right? Like, I don't know. Like that's mm. the South today still. Um, it's America today, mm. right? Like it's one of the most atrocious places, uh, child sacrifice, uh, this uh, culture of vitriol and, and toxicity and abuse and violence. It is one of the nastiest places mm-hmm. and they hate the Jews. Like there's just a, the and so God, in all of his bizarreness and all of her intriguing complexity, decides to send Jonah mm-hmm. <laughs> to Nineveh. Like, Boo Bear, like, what are you trying to do to me? You trying to get me killed right now? Mm-hmm. You trying to have me die, first off. Jonah decides not to go. We, we, know, we know the story gets you know, swallowed by a whale, a behemoth. Who really knows what's going on there? Um, and we tend to tell the stories like Jonah is like the unfaithful dude that just runs away. And I had this moment when I realized Jonah is like every POC that has been abused by, by whiteness. And then out of nowhere, God says, go to the white church that abused you mm-hmm. and preach the gospel of repentance. I don't want them to be saved, Jesus. Right. <laughs> Jonah doesn't go, not so much because he's terrified, but because at the end of Jonah, he's like, I knew this would happen. They repented. They repented. What do I do with the fact that the people that are so violent to my people, that are so evil to my people, God, the divine themselves say, what an evil city this is. Yet go that they might be set free. I don't want – I am Jonah. Because when God tells me to go to – ex-white church that has been so vitriolic or, or, or this community or that super conservative space, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go. And I can make all sorts of arguments, blah, blah, but really deep down inside, part of, my, part of my motivation of not wanting to go and bring a word is that I don't want them to be forgiven. Mm. I don't want them to be saved. Mm. Swallow me up in a whale, oh Lord, because I would much rather die in the belly of a whale at the bottom of the sea than see my enemy Redeemed. Whew. Jesus. Come on. That Who is... Are we, Kevin, who are we to say that we get to determine whether or not someone gets to be saved from how much and how much evil they get to be forgiven of? Who are we? Uh, who are we? God. Uh, that's a word. You got me all riled up. And I'm myself in some trouble because people ain't gonna like my words but yeah well people really like my words either so we're in we're in fine company but that's that's the honest to god truth and i will say just like in, in the same breath as that it's just like i think it is it probably in our like the d it's, a, it's in your dna and it's in my dna to kind of like we are these kind of personalities who 
can withstand going into those spaces because I know again like not everyone yes. can do this kind of thing where we can go back to uh, an abusive scenario or an abusive context or a place and, and preach a word of repentance. Oh, absolutely. You, you know? Amen. And You're so, right. like, you know, this is not, you know, not everybody is an activist. Some people are the doctors who are healing people back yes. in the camp. Some people are uh, the pastors and shepherds. And then there's other people out here, like, you know, where we're throwing rocks at the stained glass window, you know. And and I think it's really important for people to, to recognize their limits within themselves and to recognize that the work of reformation, the work of reforming the big C church is, mm-hmm. um, is hard and it is not changing tomorrow. It is not changing this year. It is not changing, uh, for who knows how long, but you know, we, like I have seen even just in the past few years, like such, such glimmers of like glimmers of hope can be few and far between, but those, those glimmers, like they shine so bright. Yes. And it is important to to celebrate what has happened. And then also I think for our for my healing as well, like it's exactly like you I don't know, I feel like you've been reading my diary, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I promise I haven't. I promise I haven't, boo. Thank you so much for not doing that and like respecting my privacy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I um what a time to be alive. It's a, uh, it's hard and it's horrible and it's beautiful and it's ta- emotionally taxing and it's exciting and I, I don't think I'd want to be in any other time, you know. You know, Amen. I mean, we, we are in a particular time in a particular place with a particular purpose, right? And and kind Ooh, come of come on alliteration. Yeah, no, it just happened. It's just good like that. The Lord's good to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, yes. That not everyone is called to such a treacherous mm-hmm. vocation. But if I may, at risk of just pissing off some more people, um, I'll put a disclaimer in the podcast saying the the views of Michael Vasquez don't necessarily represent me. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Say what you need to say. Do what you and you you do what you got to do, boo. I, th- there is a, a millennial, I, I think being millennial is beautiful. I mm. love my millennialness. I think it's a gift, but doesn't mean that we are absent of generational sin as millennials. We still, again, sin is still, it's still a thing. It mm-hmm. is still a thing. Um, I think some of the sinfulness is the idea that we, is an obsession really with equality. Equality is not a biblical concept. Equality is not uh, – Jesus is concerned with equity mm. in a profound way, right? Like Jesus takes the marginalized and puts them above those who have had power. First shall be last, last shall be first. Implies that someone will be first and someone will be last and yet everyone is at the table. But the table ain't round. There is a head. There is a tail. They are – like, you know, it's – and part of – Part of our obsession with equality means that every, all of, we were told, um, either directly or through like surroundings, culture at large, that we could be anything we've, we could ever want to be. We can do anything we could ever want to do. And kind of out of that, we've all taken like, – we, we can believe uh, – we can come to the belief that we all have an inherent right or privilege 
to a ministry calling. Hmm. And I mean, we could get all like church. We ain't got. I don't know if we got time for church history right now. I don't know. It's probably for the next podcast. <laughs> right. Like, there's just, there's a lot we could just do with this. Uh, there, there, but there, there's a historic quality to this idea. Uh, when at the at the shift, uh, when Constantine takes over and the church becomes empire, and empire becomes church, and no one really knows the difference, and we haven't been able to tell for 1600 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity became easier. Christianity became a lot easier right, uh, in that moment because no one was dying because of it at at, at the time, and um, I think there there is a re there's a way we're re-experiencing this. Like everyone should be able to do ministry because we've seen all these, unfortunately, like straight white dudes build mega churches off of their egos and really no substance. And so like, well, if they could do it, I could do it. And you know, it's, it's great. I, I don't really know what's at the core of this, but there's this idea that anyone can do ministry. Ministry is a treacherous calling. Mm. You will be betrayed. You will be hurt. You you will experience hardship. You will experience beauty and life and joy in ministry. But it is a treacherous calling um, that is painful, that is heavy, and you must die in order to do it. Like You must die to your ego. Your ego literally must be killed in order to do ministry. If we don't do those things, if we don't do those things as marginalized people, unfortunately, the, the burden is heavier on us. But we just, you know, I, I, I come from an ethnic heritage of people who suffered and yet survived, who suffered and overcame. And mm-hmm. so my suffering doesn't look like that. And so I can rejoice that they overcame. Um, and and so when I look at the, the cost of my discipleship, the cost of my vocation as a queer person, as a person of color in ministry – and you count that cost and decide, am I willing to follow Jesus into this? And if I do, am I going to do it with joy? Am I going to do it with grace? Am I going to do it with resilience? Am I going to do it uh, with all the, the beautiful gifts of the fruits of the spirit? Or am I just going to run off with bitterness and be like, I'm going to put on my stole and I'm just going to shoot out nonsense on Twitter and be a, a social media activist and then complain about how hard it is when people come after me. Like, you knew this, boo. You knew this. Mm-hmm. You knew that this would come. Have you prepared yourself well for this? Did you let your ego die so that you might have a higher capacity for mercy? That's Michelle Higgins who says this. Mm. Low ego, higher capacity for mercy. It's she's a gift to the world. Truth table. Other podcasts. Go mm. go listen. Um, get some black women in your life to educate you, and then pay mm-hmm. them. Their PayPal is on the internet somewhere. Yes. There's, there's the plug yes. for that. You know, play the pay pay the women of color in your life that are doing the work. Um, goodness, where was I? What was I? I was saying something. Have you prepared yourself? That's right. You Have mean. you prepared? Thank you. Thank you. Have you I prepared you. yourself for the treachery that you're going to experience? Have you prepared yourself for the hardship that you're going to experience? Because I do not, in the same way, I don't want to follow a bunch of white dudes with no substance that are perpetuating toxic theologies. I do not want to follow toxic POCs either. I don't want to follow you in your ministry of bitterness to the world. I don't want to follow you in your ministry uh, of vitriol to the world. That is not 
That is not the gospel. That is not faithfulness. That is not goodness and joy. That is not Genesis 1 and 2. It's not Revelation 21, 22. That is we started in chapter 3 and we're ending in Revelation 20. All things are destroyed. Nothing gets redeemed. We deconstructed everything. We've rebuilt nothing. The city is in shambles. The garden's burning. I don't want that gospel. And so if we are going to go into ministry, we must allow, even as marginalized people, to have our character formed and forged by the spirit of the living God and a community that can testify to the work of God in our lives. I, f- I feel like preaching today. I just feel like preaching. Ooh. <sighs> Put me... Don't put him on the pulpit. Don't put him on the pulpit. Because if you do, (laughs) have you prepared yourself for what you might hear, y'all? Have you prepared yourself? Tell you everything. You know, and you know I'm preaching to my own soul right now, too. Oh, my gosh. That's the thing. That is one thing I will always, like, hold up. Like, someone told me, it was actually, so one of my ex-girlfriends, who is still a friend of mine. um, Yeah, married, has a baby now, the whole nine yards. But she she told me one time, she said, Kevin, you cannot lead somebody where you have never been. Come on now. And I was like, Come on. and like, that is something that's always stayed with me. And just like, and kind of like, uh, I don't want to like keep going. Cause I also have to, you know, we all both have to go live our lives today. Um, I could be here. I'm like in the, I'm in the zone. I could just, <laughs> you know, you never know what's going to happen at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, the, the pastor, Nadia Bolts, whoever says, um, uh, she leads by self-incrimination. So, like, when she preaches, like, you know, she'll talk about, like, you know, she's the first person to raise her hand and say, like, I'm the one who's done wrong. Yes. And I think that there's um, a lot to that. Um, I look up to her very much because she's also a fellow eight in mm-hmm. in the ministry. And, um, yeah. But I think we should just end right there. I don't want to... What, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, like, the, the world follows joy. Yes. And so, yeah, may I, we be a joyful people. Because what is it? Yeah, cause it says, like, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, I, I want to be there. Yes. That was my conversation with my friend, Michael Vasquez. You can connect with him across all social media at MV Sebastian. And he also, like me, is an independent creative and community organizer. So if you want to support what he's doing on college campuses across the icy tundra of Michigan, you can support him at patreon.com slash MV Sebastian. Thanks so much for listening. And again, a special thank you to all of my amazing patrons and supporters on Patreon. Every single month, I've got amazing folks like you are supporting the creation of this podcast, the videos and the blogs with just a few bucks a month. And let's be honest, if you're listening to this podcast on your mobile device, you probably have a couple extra coins to throw around. Maybe you're at a coffee shop where you purchased your latte or your chai or something like that. So I'm just saying, if you've got the coin, I'd appreciate you throwing one or two of them my way to support the creation of content that reflects the queer and progressive Christian experience you can find all of that at patreon.com slash the kevin garcia you can also connect with me across social media at the kevin garcia and on the blog thekevingarcia.com. and by the way i'm looking to start uh, booking events for 2018 so if you're at a college or a school a church a community group whatever it is i would love to talk to you about creating some sort of event with you workshops keynotes panels whatever 
let's freaking do it let's make 2018 the year that we just like really blow it up guys i would love to not be working in the restaurant all the time and maybe just rolling around speaking places making moves money moves as cardi b says i'm tired of dancing you guys i want to make money moves <laughs> i hate myself uh for that uh anyways you can connect with me and get all the information on that at the kevin slash speaking and we can get the ball rolling there that is all from me, I think. So be sure to get registered for GCN. Get your plane tickets and hotel squared away. Um, comment. I would love to hear what you thought about the podcast, the conversation. I would love for you to, you know, let me know what you think about this. And you can comment on the blog. And you can comment on this podcast on the blog and all that good stuff. So go see your therapist. Listen to some dope music. Hug somebody you love. Drink something you enjoy. And have some fun, okay? I know it's the holiday season and that means uh, sad times for many of us. But just know... I love you. You are what makes the season merry and bright for me. I mean it. I'll talk to you all soon. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I love you. Talk to you soon, baby. Mwah!